1: Everybody and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasse, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we'd like to welcome you to the show this morning. Good morning, Alex.
2: Good morning, Kathy, and good morning to all our listeners out there.
1: Yes, happy Tuesday. Good traffic t- was a. Di- I just raced in here. We have our guest, Paul, today is in studio with us, and I'm still catching my breath a bit because traffic was bad today. So I'm racing in here and, uh, Hopefully, uh, the, the, the breathing will calm down radio, a little bit. Right? Yeah, the beauty. I raced in here about 10 to there. Oh, my gosh. But it all worked out well.
2: Well, we do have an exciting show today, don't we?
1: We have a really exciting show, something that um, is very dear to my heart. It's about talking about wine, vineyards, and so forth. We, um, and uh, honestly, the, the timing of the show is, is quite uh, ironic. Um, we planned the show a while back, and then in the interim, planned I planned a trip to California. Wonderful. So we're leaving tomorrow. Excellent. Yeah, so next week's show, just as a little blurb, is going to be a tape show. But uh, we're going to go tour some uh, Napa and Santa Barbara wineries. I have to admit, my passion is in, in drinking them. I like pretty labels. My husband is the one who is a little bit more of a connoisseur. He takes, you know, he likes to learn the blends and the regions and so forth. So right. I'll, I'll try and take in a bit of the uh, the knowledge behind it. But um, you know, I just I just like to go and, and enjoy just enough
3: to
2: just, to, just enough to just just enough to enjoy the whole experience, right?
1: Yeah, you know what? The difference between uh, white and red is really good. I can even throw an ice <laughs> wine in there, and I know the difference between the three, so I'm good with that. So we're going with another couple, and uh, it be a lot of fun is a family friend or or? yeah family friends that are going nice yeah we're driving down the coast unfortunately they've had some uh issues with the weather and the bridge over the last winter so we have to uh go inland a bit so we've had to change the trip around a bit but uh, that's fine no problems with that but uh like i said it's uh it's it's going to be a fun show today, and uh, on our way. So uh, maybe Paul will be able to help me a little bit with uh, with what I should be looking for and so forth. But it's it's going to be it's going to be something fun, and I'll certainly send lots of pictures and put them on the Facebook page, and we can talk about that when I get back. So I wanted to introduce you to Paul. It's a funny story. Just uh, before before I introduce you to Paul, he works uh, at Southbrook Vineyards. It used to be called Southbrook Farms, and um, in Richmond Hill is where they started, and I remember taking my kids there. So it's kind of got a, a little family tradition with us, the farm. So I'm really happy to have them, and uh, I have to say I did tour the the vineyard last year. I don't know if Paul knows that, but we'll talk about that. But uh, let's introduce Paul. With experience in the wine industry, post-secondary education, community leadership, and social enterprise, Paul DeCampo now serves as associate winemaker and director of marketing and sales for Southbrook. Working closely with Anne Sperling, Director of Viticulture and Winemaking, Paul participates in new product development, harvest, processing, and finalizing blends. Education in viticulture and enology through, and I just learned that word, through extension courses at Guelph University laid a foundation for learning through the experience with wine producers Malivore and Henry of Pelham. And he may correct my pronunciation of that when we come back. While his duties also include marketing and sales, Paul has remained close to the production and process through many harvests. So when we get back from our break, we will talk with Paul DeCampo and learn all about wines and biodynamics and organics and all the differences. So stay tuned.
4: I woke up in darkness Surrounded by silence Oh where Where have I gone I woke to reality Losing its grip on me Oh where Where have I gone I can see the light Before I see the sunrise you You waited for me I searched for you What took me so long I was looking outside As if love would ever want to hide I'm finding I was wrong Feel
0: You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi.
1: Welcome back, everybody. We are in studio with Paul DeCampo, who you'll meet in a second. I just wanted to let you know that if you would like to speak with Paul or myself, please feel free to call in at 416-245-1534. You can also cite us on social media at Instagram, on Instagram at the Health Hub RMC. You can reach me at Twitter, uh, on Twitter at Kathy underscore Biasse. We are also on Facebook. And if you'd like further information on the show after we're done, you can email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. So without any further ado, Paul, welcome to the show.
3: Well, thank you very much. Really happy to be here.
1: Yes, it's nice to have you in studio as well. It just makes everything flow so nicely, and it's nice to have someone to talk to in front of me. So did I pronounce everything correctly?
3: Everything's just fine so far. So far. Okay.
1: (laughs) So maybe you can explain, as you did at the break, Malavoir is actually a family?
3: Yes. So, yeah, so my history is working in the Ontario uh, industry So Malavar was a a privately held uh, family winery, Uh, and then as is Henry of Pelham, uh, and uh, still the three original brothers who started the winery, and then Southbrook as as well is a project of the Rettelmeyer family. So I think there is a difference in the sense of stewardship that comes with being a family operation. Mm -hmm. You know, I think one's timelines are based on generations, not on quarters, and I think that in terms of being uh, good stewards of the land, that makes a big difference.
1: And these are Ontario wine companies that you've been with through the piece? Yes. Yes, okay. 100%. And how long have you been at Southbrook?
3: At Southbrook since uh, the beginning of 2014. So just yeah, over three years now.
1: So I'll tell yeah. you my history with Southbrook. Hmm. Um, they were Southbrook Farms. They were in Richmond Hill. They had pumpkin patches. They had a whole bunch of different things. They were right on Major McKenzie, which is not too far from me. And then you up and you moved. Yes. On us. Yes. Uh, And I guess it was, I'm going to say it was for the betterment of the wine industry, not because a whole bunch of homes are now on that uh, location.
3: Well, I think it was a double-edged thing. You know, it's, it's more and more difficult to farm in areas that are surrounded by urban development or suburban development. Uh, A pick your own was a seasonal pick your own produce was a Mm -hmm. big part of the operation. People aren't picking their own to the same extent as they once did. Mm-hmm. You know, stra- You know, the uh, strawberry, pick your own strawberries used to be a big part of that operation. Uh, now, although they don't taste very good, you can buy strawberries 12 months of the year.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, so, you know, that that impetus to just kind of come out and pick 10, 20 flats with your family and preserve them for the year, less of that was happening. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, more integral to the wine business was, you know, the, the Rettelmeyers had always... Had good relationships with grape growers in the Niagara on the Lake area, uh, but weren't growing them themselves. And really, to have that ultimate level of control over the agriculture and hence the quality, uh, it was that was the next stage in the development of the business. It was to was to uh, purchase land in Niagara and then uh, start planting and uh, and then uh, conducting that conversion to organic and biodynamic.
1: Were they organic in Richmond Hill? No, no, no. So that conversion and that that must have taken a whole bunch of education by the family to try and get that into place.
3: Very much so, but we've been really benefited from as an operation. We benefit from working with Ann Sperling, and Ann Sperling is the most accomplished Canadian-born winemaker that I know of, uh, and has been you know professional winemaker since the early '80s, and was a very early adopter of uh, organic and biodynamic thinking. And then uh, applying elements of that through her career. And then Southbrook was really since 2005 when she, when that came to Full Flower. And she was really able to direct the whole operation from both the grape growing and the winemaking points of view and uh, enact those ideas on, on, on the site.
1: Is she with Southbrook Farms or is she a consultant?
3: She is with Southbrook Farms. She okay. is the director of, gra- of uh, grape growing and winemaking. All right. So uh, she kind of oversees all the production side of it, and uh, we do share her slightly because uh, she has a family operation in the Okanagan on, called Sperling Vineyards, mm-hmm. and uh, so she she does uh, uh, oversee the crush there as well. And her and her husband uh, also are in Argentina every April uh, to work on their project there, which is called Versado, which is uh, they make elegant Malbec in uh, in uh, Argentina.
1: Is Malbec a grape?
3: Melbeck is a grape, okay. yes. Okay, you
1: yes. know, so that's, you know, again, I, I like my wines, and yep. wines are designated by regions and by grapes yes. or by both. Yes. Then you have the blends. So you can see where I'm going when I don't need to know all this information. I mean, this is... (laughs) just
3: (laughs) it kind of sounds a little like my household (laughs) because, uh, you know, like my my wife just uh, uh, would like a a nice glass of wine a day and doesn't want to have to worry about it. And she has someone else to take care of that. Well,
1: that's perfect. It's it's sort of the trend (laughs) that we go on in our house. Yes. So you have been with the evolution of the Niagara area Mm -hmm. for quite a while, and it's gone to... Um, sort of an up-and-coming trial and error sort of thing to really understanding the climate and the culture. And wines are now, in Ontario, um, very well established and very well regarded. Am I correct in that?
3: Very much so. We're we're really proud of the quality of wine that we're making consistently year over year. Uh, We are getting more and more acknowledgement for that quality uh, within our home market, most importantly, uh, but also from beyond our borders. Uh, when we go to the UK, uh, when we when we're in uh, the United States, uh, uh, to some extent in the Far East, uh, you know our wines are very well regarded and acknowledged. Uh, you know we do run a cool climate Chardonnay conference every year as an industry that occurs in Niagara, and you know cool climate is not a pejorative term. Cool mm-hmm. climate is uh, what. Uh, winemakers all over the world are looking for especially in this era of global change
1: Mm, yes Uh, you have had to keep up with that I imagine too
3: exactly so uh, you know uh, cool moderate climates are actually preferable for uh, grape growing uh, for wine uh, because the greatest wines are made on the edge of ripeness not Mm -hmm. at not at a level of over ripeness and even if you think of the classic grape-growing regions of Europe. Uh, you know, In France, the best wines are not made in the hottest parts of the south. They're made more in the moderate areas in the middle, Bordeaux, Burgundy, Alsace, Champagne, uh, and the same in Italy. The greatest wines uh, traditionally have not been made in the south. They've been made in Piemonte, Barolo Barbaresco, uh, in, around in, uh, in Chianti and uh, Tuscany. So again, more in the north or middle parts of the country. Because uh, it's you know we it's grapes don't do well in extreme heat after about 30 degrees they kind of shut down and get finicky and don't ripen uh, so it's really the more moderate areas where we can make uh, the highest quality wines with the best balance and 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 Ontario is emerging as one of those places.
1: Well our growing season would it, would it uh, my thought was that it would have been mm. shorter than for in the European.
3: Um, It is shorter than some European areas. Uh, We do get uh, very, uh, one way we measure things is by heat units. Uh, And when we measure by heat unit, it puts us, you know, right in the sweet spot somewhere between Burgundy and Bordeaux uh, in terms of heat units. So, you know, those are the classic grape grape, uh, growing areas. When we're growing the right varieties in the right places, uh, we can produce very high quality wine.
1: Are they Canadian grapes? Are you, are you? Have you had to make a Canadian grape?
3: Not so much. Not um, so much. Most of the, the the very early days, uh, up before the 70s, or say before the 1950s, we were growing Concords and uh, Niagara's, Labresca grapes we would call them, ones with almost entirely North American parentage. Then we moved into hybrid grapes, so these would be grapes that were crosses between European and North American varieties. But really, since the 70s, we've been focused on Vitis vinifera. So the Vitis vinifera is that uh, species of grapes that includes Chardonnay, Merlot, uh, Cabernet, Riesling—you know, the classic European grape varieties. So that's the majority of what is current in in uh, uh, Niagara. There are still some plantings of Vidal, which is a French hybrid. Uh, that that is used for sweet wines, and then sort of some dry table wines as well. And then Bacot Noir on the red wine side is still a popular uh, French hybrid that is grown uh, extensively in Ontario.
1: Have you seen the emergence of more organic wineries over the years in Niagara?
3: It's been slow, but there has been an emergence. So, uh, if if you know if you go back to about ninety nine, there were zero, and now there are about five. So I guess we, we would say that's an emergence, but not not a not a deluge. Uh, you know, the first the very first one was Frog Pond uh, Winery, and uh, and Jens Gemmerich there was the pioneer and is still a hundred uh, percent organic winery. Uh, we were the first to come along and to be uh, organic and biodynamic, and we'll talk about that difference a little bit. Uh, we have our colleagues at Taw's Winery have, have some uh, certified organic wines. It's been really interesting uh, and exciting that our, our uh, other colleagues at Hidden Bench, they've been growing organically for a number of years and now have been certifying the wines as of this year. Uh, so well, that's a
1: process you have to uh, grow for a number of years?
3: Um, no, I think uh, there are two parts of that. I think partly it was their choice. It was their choice to, uh, to, to uh, for whatever reasons, to start with growing grapes and then move into organic production in, in the winery as well.
1: Well, there, I, I'm thinking that there's got to be a greater cost to going organic than to growing um Maybe at the, yeah. at the initial stages, maybe I don't, you can tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, no. Once it's done, it's done. But initially to start up organic, is it a costly adventure? There are,
3: certain, there are certainly some costs, and there are some ongoing costs. The certification itself is not a substantial amount. Uh, we're talking, uh, you know, plus or minus $1,000 a year, uh, plus some, some internal uh, labor in order to do the certification work. Uh, in terms of growing grapes... There are pluses and minuses to growing organically. Uh, there are, uh, we avoid using a lot of very synthet- uh, expensive synthetic inputs. Uh, what it, generally what it means is that there's more labor. Some of our material costs are lower, but our labor costs tend to be mm-hmm. higher. So instead of say controlling weeds by uh, spraying Roundup once every four to six weeks, uh, we can we, we have to instead be out there with our tractors more more uh, frequently to to mechanically knock back the weeds using hose, uh on our tractor and then using some hand hose as well to get right in between the vines
1: well what what makes an organic vineyard an organic vineyard what mm-hmm. are the concepts that have to go into that
3: so orga- organic grape growing is the same as all other organic uh, farming we start by focusing on the health of the soil the organic matter in the soil which is the root the, the root meaning of the term mm-hmm. and uh, and you know and organic matter is you know the rotted plant and animal matter that goes into the soil that is carbon and makes the soil healthier and the original concept was that by increasing the organic matter in the soil plants are going to be healthier and more resilient and going to be less Dependent on protections, Mm -hmm. so we have soil fertility, but then we have uh, uh, plant protection, and the 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 three things we we protect our plants against are weeds, so we use herbicides, uh, insects, insecticides, and in grape growing, fungus, Mm -hmm. so using fungicides. So uh, for our organics, we're not using any synthetics for any of those plant protection measures. Uh, so for weeds we we control them mechanically for insects insects uh we we've found that by having a really healthy biosphere, by having a healthy population of predatory insects and birds uh our insect pressure is not zero, but it's within acceptable limits.
1: Well, my understanding is if a plant. Any plant is forced to fend for itself a little bit, it's going to be stronger.
3: It is. And it also uh, produces more interesting and uh, health giving compounds mm-hmm. like resveratrol, uh, especially in uh, response to fungus. Uh, so, you know, the con- uh, conventional fungus uh, or chemically dependent fungus uh, control uh, uses uh, synthetics that go into the vascular system of the plant, uh, they're, they're more persistent on the plant. Uh, but they also then, because they're in the liquid of the plant, they they uh, express themselves in the liquid within the grapes, and then in our wine at the end.
1: Now, is that a taste difference or a health difference?
3: It's a it's a potential health difference. Okay. And uh, and where we're using topical preparations, meaning that they land on the leaf. And they displace the fungus pressure by having either other microbiology there, especially under uh, biodynamic methods. And then we do use some sulfur as well, which counteracts the, the uh, fungus.
1: Do you have to let some areas of your vineyard go each year? Like, do you rotate the vineyard around?
3: It's hard to rotate a vineyard. You know, uh, we, we operate 60 grapes, 60 acres of grapes on a 150 acre farm. So we do maintain a lot of those areas that uh, in in that are fallow, the way that the way that a traditional say uh ca- crop farmer would do, where they would grow a crop on on one set of acreage and then the next year let it rest or uh, put it or plant pasture and run animals over it. Uh, grapes don't like to be moved around very much. Okay. Once they're rooted in place, we they like to stay in place. So. Uh, We replicate some of that same effect by growing cover crops between the rows.
1: And what do you mean by cover crops?
3: So these are uh, crops that are flowering plants and grasses. Uh, Some of them like clover and alfalfa, which will actually fix uh, nitrogen in the soil. They have have the ability to take uh, nitrogen that's in the atmosphere and fix it in a form that's available to plants in the soil.
1: One thing that I remember when I was at, uh, at the vineyard last year hmm. um, was, I think there were rose bushes, yes. some of the, the, like the entry into the, yes. the vineyard or the rose. And what do the rose bushes do? Same idea?
3: The, the roses are really are a traditional method of, uh, of an early warning system. Uh, roses are affected by mildew the same way grapes are. And so uh, if we notice that there's, at the end of the row, some mildew pressure, that's a warning single signal for us to say, hey, we better get out there and check our vines and see if there is mildew pressure, and then take the steps that we need to to counteract it.
1: How has the rainy season been this year? The, been rainy, the
3: rainy season uh, has uh, had its challenges. It has meant that those mildew pressures have been increased, mm-hmm. So we've been out there more frequently uh, battling it. Uh, you know, we've come we came off a really heavy, a really uh, drought year uh, the previous year. That uh, the you know it was so hot and dry that there was some need to replenish the aquifers. Uh, you know, we would say enough already. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 you know this uh, this last week and uh, the week going forward from now are really encouraging in that we they have been warmer and drier for us.
1: And this is the summer that we were supposed to have and a great sort of playing catch up or is this like the optimal time for the sunshine to come out?
3: Mm, we're doing a little catch up mm. and then we're going to get to good ripeness, yes.
1: Does it push back the harvest? Yes,
3: so it, it means that uh, we'll be harvesting later in the season.
1: So you got to keep a very good eye on the weather because in Canada, you could have a cold snap like that.
3: Not just a cold snap. Uh, the other thing that comes around this time of year is the tail end of some of those hurricanes. Uh, we haven't had them this year. They haven't moved up this far, but uh, there have been historically some uh, September's when uh, we'd get the tail end of Hurricane X, and uh, that would you know uh, right at the wrong time. Yeah. but uh, cool. that hasn't happened this year.
1: Well, that's good. And then what um, is this red season? Red wine, white wine, both?
3: You know, um, the the this the season that's or the vintage that's most similar to this one would be twenty thirteen. And uh, the Chardonnays, Rieslings, Pinot Noir, Gamays were all very strong from that year, and even the Cabernet, the Bordelaise reds, uh, they developed, but it took them longer. So we're, we're, st- we're still hopeful for all of them, but then we're farmers. We're always hopeful.
1: But you're looking forward to a good, it's going to be a good season.
3: Yes, we are looking f- uh, forward to a, an abundant season, which is part has been a, an issue for us the last couple of years. After some hard winters, we've had low volumes. Mm-hmm. So this is going to give us uh, uh, higher volumes of, of moderate to very good quality.
1: Okay. We're going to uh, take a little break here, and I've, I've- specifically not touched on biodynamics because i want to take (laughs) a a little chunk of time and and talk about that but we've we've touched on a couple of aspects of it but when we come back from our break we're going to delve into maybe your lead certification and what being biodynamic means for the environmental footprint for wines and the, the whole concept of organic farming up in the niagara region for for vineyards so we will take a quick break and be back in a couple of minutes
2: Something better, but am I really gonna hide forever? Over and over again, I hear your voice in my head. Let your light shine. Let Same.
0: Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi.
1: Welcome back everybody. We're here here with Paul DeCampo from Southbrook Vineyards. And before we jump into biodynamics, I was saying I didn't want to touch that subject because I really want to take a chunk of time to deal with it. I'm going to take a step back before we take a run at it. What made Southbrook decide to do organic and biodynamic farming?
3: It was really a, a choice about uh, pursuing highest quality and being responsible stewards of the land. Uh, we really believe that by avoiding those synthetic uh, pesticides as a full group we're protecting the biodiversity above ground so we have a healthier population of of, uh, insects and birds and mammals above ground but from a winemaking point of view what's important is the biodiversity in the soil it's the microscopic fungus plants and animals that really interact with the uh, they act as an intermediary between the roots of the plant and the native uh, taste of the place And so they're really, uh, by having that healthy microbiology, it allows the plants to express the unique character of the place and and allows us to make wines that are distinctive. Uh, We also believe that by uh, focusing on soil health and building organic matter in the soil, it makes our plants healthier and more resilient through the ups and downs of the various vintages and allows us to make more consistent, high-quality wine.
1: Are you benefiting other farms around you by yourself being um, organic and biodynamic?
3: Well, we believe we're benefiting society as a whole because we are, uh, because the water that uh, leaves our property, for example, is cleaner than it is when it arrives at our property because everything percolates through our reed beds uh, and uh, we're not adding toxins to that. Uh, so that the the water quality is higher, the biosphere around the the, the winery is more resilient and uh, ha, has more variety to it. Uh, so uh, and uh, the air quality is higher, uh, and and most importantly, probably from a societal long range point of view, we're building topsoil. Mm-hmm. You know, as a species, we're we're dependent we're eroding on, it on the on this really thin little skin of topsoil that surrounds a, a chunk of rock. That we live on. And uh, without that topsoil, there's no life. And most farming uh, on the planet is extractive, meaning that at the end of the season, there is less topsoil than there was at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're, We're practicing regenerative agriculture. That means that at the end of the year, there's more topsoil, there's healthier topsoil. Uh, so that over time, if more farms did this, uh, we'd be have a more resilient uh, agricultural system. As, as a whole. As a whole. As a and, whole. And, it, so, and part of it is that it's not just about wine. It's about farming more generally. Uh, it's, people seem to be more interested in thinking about the agriculture that's behind their wine sometimes than their food. Uh, so it's a way of kind of starting that conversation about what is high-quality agriculture? What is responsible agriculture, and not and not getting distracted by feeding the nine billion in 2050, mm-hmm. but having an agriculture that uh, will allow us to live on this planet for 10,000 years, for 100,000 years, that, for a million years. That's you know that should be our our goal as a species mm-hmm. is le- is leaving it leaving an agricultural system that is healthier than we found it.
1: Absolutely. And the
3: last hundred years have been going in the wrong direction. Yeah. We believe that these methods uh, can reverse that and take us in the correct direction.
1: Okay. So now let's jump into um, biodynamic farming. And For if sure. you could give us a good understanding of what that is, I'll learn. My listeners will learn. It'll be great.
3: It'd be my pleasure. Uh, you know, biodynamics uh, as a set of farming principles comes out of a set of uh, lectures that Rudolf Steiner gave. In the 1920s, in what is now eastern, Euro, what became eastern Germany, and uh, he was asked by a, he was acknowledged as an expert on uh, on er, uh, herbalism and agriculture, and he had taken a lot of traditional knowledge and stitched it together into his own philosophy of how to farm, and that had a spiritual el- element to it as well. Uh, and the farmers of that area noticed that they had been using. Synthetic fertilizers for about fifteen years at that point, and they were noticing that their plants weren't as healthy, their animals weren't as healthy, and they felt their children weren't as healthy either. and And so they they came to Rudolf Steiner and said, "So, what are we missing here? What are we doing wrong?" So he gave a series of lectures that laid out his principles on how to farm. Uh, and you know, Rudolf Stein is a pretty interesting character. He's also the one who invented the Waldorf schools. Which oh, are I which didn't are which are still. There's one in Toronto. Yes, yes yeah, a big and, one. In yeah, Toronto. They're, and they're still all over the world. So he's someone who's invented a, who invented a system of agriculture and a system of uh, education, both of which are still uh, 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 developing strong, and yeah. going strong and and, uh, and popular around the world. Uh, so the three principles that we practice. Uh, are by, we we begin as organic growers, meaning that we're focused on soil health and we're avoiding synthetic inputs. Then we add three different elements. One is the, uh, there are recommended sprays that we must use to bring energetic forces as well as uh, microbiology into the vineyard. And uh, the most famous one is horn manure. In horn manure, we take uh, cow's horns uh, that are that naturally fall off on the at the end of the season uh, from breeds of cows that have horns, which are harder and harder to find now because we've bred new breeds of uh, dairy cattle without horns. Uh, we take those horns and we fill them with cow manure. We bury them in the uh, at the fall. You uh, feel
1: the the marrow part? Horn.
3: Yeah, the horn itself is empty. Okay. So we fill it with manure. We we uh, bury them uh, uh, through the winter. And then the the manure inside is kind of crystallized and transformed through that process. And then we take the, the, those horns, we empty them, we mix them with water, and we spray them on our our farm. And so that brings beneficial uh, energy and microbiology through the whole farm.
1: How many horns do you have to use?
3: Well, we're at we're about 150 because wow. we have a 150 acre farm.
1: One horn, one acre. One
3: horn, one acre. And then, uh, and then there are other preparations that we use that are mostly herbal and compost teas, and that are and some preparations we put right into our compost in order for the transformation of nutrients within the compost piles to uh, occur in an optimal way.
1: Specific things going into your compost, yes. very specific. Yes. Okay.
3: And they're they're generally you know there are things like uh, chamomile which will help uh, express the calcium that's, in the, that's, in, that's naturally in the material, but make it more bioavailable to the plants. Uh, so that's, so. those are like the, the sprays that we must use. We also work with the lunar cycle. And uh, you know, working with the lunar cycle is just traditional farming knowledge. I know uh, I plant my lettuce seeds when my mother-in-law tells me to plant my lettuce <laughs> seeds because she has the best garden of anybody I know. And uh, she, she learned how to plant with the cycles of the moon growing up on a, on a farm. And, uh, and she still uses that knowledge every year and every, and every day, frankly. Well,
1: I have to interject here yeah. because <laughs> my father-in-law made, has made homemade wine hmm. forever. And um, his sons, my husband and their, their brothers, are, hmm. are trying to cultivate this thing. Hmm. And they were transfer Again, I don't know the whole process. Yeah. They were transferring from one to another. And my father-in-law said, stop. You can only do this when the sun is shining.
3: Interesting. interesting. And
1: I, I, I said, what? He goes, the air pressure has to be high, the sun has to be shiny, or you're mm-hmm. going to change the flavor and the properties of the wine.
3: Yes, yes. So he's
1: biodynamic.
3: He's biodynamic. <laughs> he, well, you know, and that's the thing. Biodynamics is just a codified version of traditional farming uh, knowledge it's It's not that exotic a lot of it is just a uh, is looking back to how we once farmed before we were chemically dependent um, and for us we what we've observed is that the new moon the lees or the loose stuff on the bottom of the uh, of the tank of wine stays much more compact so we'll time our bottling and our transfers uh for the new moon because that just means we get to more we get through more liquid before we get to the solid Wow. Well. Uh, it also, we've also observed that at the full moon moisture moves out of the soil into the canopy, into the leafy part of the plant. So we'll anticipate that by spraying horsetail tea, which brings light and heat energy and counter counteracts the uh, mildew pressure that could happen at that time. Fascinating. So that's the lunar cycle part. And then finally it's, it's, uh, about treating the farm as a single self-sustaining organism. And, uh, the key strategy for doing that is, again, an old-school farming technique of integrating plants and animals into the growing system. You know, we, we've uh, evolved to the point where, uh, if you look at beef production, uh, where we, ha- we, we grow our, our beef cattle in, uh, in concentrated uh, feeding situations uh, where far away from where the corn is grown. Where so we've got a whole bunch of animals in one area with no food, and all their manure is causing pollution. Whereas out on in the in the cornfields, we have to use synthetic fertilizers made from petrochemicals because there's no cows around to feed the to to feed the field. Whereas if we integrate those two systems, then the the manure is not a pollutant; it's a resource. And we're less dependent on petrochemicals to grow the crops to feed the animals. So it's about establishing that uh, beneficial cycle on the farm. For us, we we uh, we use sheep. They're uh, they're easier to manage as ruminants. They're like cows. They have they have multiple stomachs, mm-hmm. so they're able to digest uh, uh, cellulose, grass, and turn it into uh, protein. Uh, and so the she, uh, we have about 85 lambing ewes that we'll keep through this coming winter. Uh, and they, they stay in a barn for the winter uh, and, and eat gra- uh, uh, hay harvested from our farm. And then the, for the rest of the year, they, they eat pasture. So there's no corn feeding, uh, no grain feeding. They just eat pasture all the way through the year. And then we use their, uh, fer- their manure to fertilize the rest of the farm.
1: Are they within the actual vineyard walking around?
3: You know, we we will run them outside of season within within the vines themselves. Now, uh, not so much when we have fruit on the vine or when we have tender growth early in the season, but uh, after harvest or uh, through uh, uh, th- through the dormant season, we could run them in the we can run them right in the vines as well. Mostly, they spend time on the headlands, and then we do have. Uh, uh, we do have a seventy-five acre uh, lot, sixty acres of which is pasture, and they spend most of their time there through the summer. But we will, we will, uh, we will work them around the headlands, around the winery, partly because they're so uh, photogenic, mm-hmm. and uh, and and partly just because you know there's there's grass there. We we could spend uh, labor and uh, and gasoline or diesel cutting the grass, or we can just let the the tasty little. Uh, grass cutters go and, uh, and then, you know, they produce protein as well. They produce very high quality, high welfare protein. What about,
1: what about pollination for the, uh, for the grapes?
3: Grapes are wind, uh, pollinated. So we're not so dependent on that, but we are really conscious of pollinator health. I think it's just another, uh, aspect of, uh, of, um, high quality stewardship of farming. So we do, we do keep honeybees on the, on the property, uh, which and they feed off the native wildflowers. We, we've purposely planted uh, milkweed, which is of course the only larval plant that monarch butterflies will use. And, uh, so uh, w- and we have them right outside our front door and we tell people about them all the time because we, and, and we offer the sunflower the, the, the milkweed seeds to, to our guests because milkweed is a threatened wildflower species. It's been uh, it's in been in decline mostly because of the use of Roundup uh, Ready technologies to grow corn and soybeans. So uh, we need to revive those. And okay, I
1: just had an aha moment. So okay, why, why the monarch? It yes. Is, okay.
3: Yes. All and right. And University of Guelph has done some really great research on this. This is this isn't this isn't. Uh, Crazy left wing thinking. This is like the agricultural uh, researchers from the University of Guelph have, have directly correlated the decline of monarch butterfly populations to the growth of Roundup Ready uh, genetically modified crops.
1: We don't often think of monarch butterflies as pollinators. They certainly yeah, are. The they certainly are, yes. So then, do you have other products that you sell on the farm as? Um, you know, you've got all these other aspects of the of the farm going around, or the vineyard. We certainly. still call it a vineyard, right? It, but yes. what other products then come from being biodynamic?
3: Well, certainly we do have honey that is produced. Uh, uh, the the bees are actually kept by a by a third party uh, beekeeper, but he he sells the honey produced from our property on on our on our farm. Uh, we do have some other food products that we've made. Uh, they're kind of traditional to Southbrook. Uh, and, and our, our roots as a on-farm store, which we know which was our, our origins in Richmond Hill. Mm-hmm. But uh, the one thing that we're well-known for is bioflavia. And mm-hmm. bioflavia is made from the skins of uh, red grapes post-fermentation. And uh, so these, uh, of course, like your grandmother said, to, to eat the peels because that's where the most nutrition is. Mm-hmm. The same is true for grapes. And uh, so a lot of the uh, bioflavonoids, uh, the antioxidants that are in grapes are concentrated in the skins. Uh, generally, you know, tr- uh, some skins, uh, most skins uh, on a farm would be uh, used as compost, and we still do that with our white wine skins. But the red wine skins, a uh, portion of them we have dried and then milled have the seeds removed, and then one can take it as a food supplement mm-hmm. to increase the antioxidant uh, intake.
1: Yes, it's a product that I use. Um, I didn't realize that it was, so these are fermented skin seeds, so which even uh, it, it increases the bioavailability yes. Yes. of of the product. Yeah, yes. that's a great product. Uh, I was right. saying to you at break, I've had it for quite a mm. while. It's a uh, it's something that I need to go back and revisit as a recommendation okay. in, in food protocols for sure. Mm-hmm. And I don't want the show to end before uh, we talk about the fabulous building that you have there. Fantastic. And, and let's talk about that and then quickly get to what the building offers as far as tours and so forth.
3: Excellent. So um, when the Myers uh, moved to Niagara, they, you know, they think they wanted to make a statement with that building. And, and, and uh, they had uh, been speaking to architect named Jack Diamond about another project up in Richmond Hill that that uh, had, hadn't gone through. But they had a good relationship with Jack. They really respected his methods. And Jack Diamond is, uh, Diamond Schmidt is his firm. Uh, he designed the opera house in downtown Toronto. He designed the opera house in St. Petersburg, Russia. That just was completed. Uh, he is a very well-recognized international architect. His firm has done a lot of work around LEED-certified buildings, including the building at uh, Evergreen Brickworks, and then some new. De- I was
1: just down there. Ah,
3: oh, great! Mm-hmm. And then some of the new developments uh, that Brock University has brought to downtown Saint Catharines. And so LEED is uh, leadership in energy and environmental design. So it's thinking about the environmental uh, impact and reduction of energy use all the way through the building. Uh, from the from how we use light to the energy through the building to all the materials that we're using uh, locally sourced materials as much as possible to reduce the you know the carbon footprint of the materials uh, and so that that was that's really built into the building uh, as well as into the landscaping. So when you come to the winery, you'll you'll see. Uh, what one might think of as a ditch which we like to call a bioswale Mm -hmm. uh, which is you know a a depression that runs along the front of the building between the building and the and the parking lot Uh, so all the water from the hard surfaces percolates down into this bioswale and then as it percolates through the roots back out to the drainage at the road uh, it means that that the the quality of that water is much higher Mm -hmm. so it's really cleaning up the water there um, you know that we use natural light uh for the most part and uh and uh, uh, while we we take in town water we take care of our wastewater on site
1: mm-hmm. it's a fabulous property like i said i was right. up there uh I'm sure it was last year, maybe it was the year before, but, but uh, yeah, and, and loved it. I just, I loved learning and the understanding sure. more actually about the biodynamic aspect hmm. than, than the actual hmm. grapes and so forth. I right. thought it was really fascinating. Right. Now you offer tours, different Certainly. wine seasons Certainly. are coming up. Um, we'll give you the contact information. And before we sign off, is there something that you can tell our listeners, a tip, wines?
3: Love to. You know, we're coming up to uh, one holiday season, the Thanksgiving season, and then uh, a number of religious holidays all the way through uh, December. And uh, i just like to really put a plug out there for dry rosé at the holiday table. And, you know, we uh, we have a couple on the go, but I would say choosing uh, VQA, and VQA means that all the grapes are grown in Ontario. You choose VQA rosé, check for the, the sugar code, make sure it's on the drier side. It's more adaptable with food.
1: Dry would be what percent?
3: Dry, what? dry would be uh, under 8 grams per liter or a 0 or a 1 on the old scale. Okay. Uh, and, and it just it, they're so adaptable they go with such a wide variety of foods and very useful at the holiday table.
1: Thank you for that. Now, if you would like to contact Paul, you can reach him uh, at the Southbrook website, which is southbrook.com. Couldn't be too much easier. Uh, look at all the tours. Go up and take, take a gander at what's going on up there. It really is fascinating and uh, thankful that you're doing this, the biodynamic aspect of it. It right. makes us who drink wine feel a lot better about what we're drinking. Did you want to say one more thing?
3: If I may, one yeah. more thing, uh, and some of our wines are available through the LCBO, but the easiest way is just to go online at that southbrook.com, see what you'd like for your home, order it, and we will ship it to you. We're very happy to do so. You don't have to buy it by the case. You can buy a bottle of each of two or three or four or five different things. And uh, th- that's, uh, that's the best way for us to connect directly to your household.
1: Great. And you'll find everything on that one website. And a more, understanding, more understanding of what we were talking about today. Thank you very much, Paul, for coming in. I really appreciate it. And everybody, I am away next week, so your show will be recorded. It's a fantastic one about bees. So do listen. And uh, we will be back live here again in a couple of weeks. So have a great couple of weeks, everybody.